What's up, everybody? As you know, I am Jason Timbuktu Diakite, and I am only one half of this moment, with the other being my dear brother, Chef Marcus Samuelson. And together, we have created the transatlantic bridge between Stockholm and Sweden and Harlem, USA, that is this moment. And this week, our bridge crosses over Minneapolis, Minnesota. But we're going to highlight another dynamic duo. The legendary hip-hop group Atmosphere, led by Sean Slug Daily. So let me tell you about Slug, folks. This guy has been around the rap scene for a really long time. And while Minnesota was more known for Prince and Bob Dylan, Slug and his crew, they created a strong hip-hop scene and built it from the ground up DIY style. I can relate to it. He's a co-founder also of Rhyme Sayers Entertainment and has helped connect Minneapolis to the rest of the world. And I was definitely bumping Atmosphere tracks back in the days when I hosted a nationally syndicated hip-hop radio show called P3 Hip Hop out here in Sweden. Uh, We're going to talk about those early days of Slug becoming an MC in Minneapolis in the 80s and 90s, life in Minneapolis, Prince, family, and so much more. So let's just jump in, folks. 
in, in, in many ways, you know, when you're younger and you're an artist and you, you feel like the world is against you and trying to hold you back and keep you down, you know, you have all these things that you will prop up to, to, to prove how much of a struggle it is to get heard by somebody coming from Minneapolis. It's actually true. It's uh it's not a, it's not a place that people go checking for, or at least specifically when I was younger, you know, it's, um, but within itself, had a flourishing scene and people checked for each other. It's like, it, it, it was, it was almost as if like, we all knew a, uh, I'm not driving to Chicago to go see a show. That's a little too far. So we have what we have. And then it's a flyover city. It was when I was younger for a lot of the national acts and the international acts, they, they, they would go to Chicago. And so we really had to learn how to depend on each other to get what we needed, especially through those winter months. We had to go out and see shows. We had to go to people's basements. We had to go to wherever we could go to connect with other advocates as well as connect with artists. Um, you, you learned how to kind of depend on yourself and, and your surroundings for that. And so so it, 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 it oddly, it nourished us and it nurtured what we were doing. But in the same time, in the same breath, we had no idea if what we were doing was right, there was no way for us to, we couldn't, we had no mentorship. There was nobody coming through that we could look at and see, you know what I'm saying? You just had what you had in the magazines, uh, on, on the television and then with your friends, you know? And so specifically when we're making hip hop, you know, I'm from a small town in the South of Sweden called Lund. And what you're saying rings so true to me because we basically had to invent our own scene because there was, there was nothing there. And, uh, you know, bands would, would come there because there's a university in the town. But uh, I, I can see what you're saying. It's, it's like a plant school, like where you can, you can come up uh, and, be, and prepare yourself before you kind of go out into the world and kind yeah. of have your, your skills or your, your little sword a little sharpened at, at home in your own world before you kind of swim out into the big sea. But, but, but fully, Sean, fully. Sean yeah. there was talk. One of the things that always amazed me with Minneapolis, right? If you go through the whole Prince route, right? That, you know, even before they're super famous, you think about the Times and you think about uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and all of that. The talent pool, the amount of bands that there were in Minneapolis, right? And that's obviously not necessarily directly in the hip hop scene, but out of that, there must have been a lot of talent that you were surrounded with that coming up in that sort of way must have been interesting right so a lot of your friends must have been in that surrounding tell us a little bit about that because you know there is talent in minneapolis tons of it oh yes um you know growing up for me i never picked up an instrument mm -hmm. um i i immediately went to the turntable i wanted to be a dj mm -hmm. and so i had my eye on other djs and that's specifically who i was trying to study and some of them were hometown heroes you know some of them were were, were hometown celebrities you know mm -hmm. you, you you get you get a, 50 miles outside of the city nobody knows who they are but <laughs> but in the city in the city the whole the whole yeah, the, yeah. exactly the whole neighborhood yeah. the whole the whole that whole part of this I town yep and yeah. but of course we were all aware of prince we were all aware of the time we were all aware of jimmy jam and terry lewis you know um I heard rumblings of of, of things like Husker Du and the replacements, yeah. and there there were scenes here that even even as a teenager or a young adult, I hadn't quite discovered. I I never heard the replacements until I became 
a grown up, you know what I mean? But then I was like, wow, that was going on at the same time as this. And the eighties mm-hmm. were cracking. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. but as a, as a kid, I wasn't fully aware because I was looking at the DJ Prince was the one thing I was really aware of. And that, and, 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 uh, I love my aunt specifically for introducing me to Prince. She was a teenager when Prince started popping with like dirty mind. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. even, you know, I was like a, a nine-year-old, you know, but my aunt was, the, was cool to me. You know, as a teenager, she's a grown up, but she's a kid. You know what I'm saying? Like, and mm-hmm. so anything mm-hmm. she thought was fresh, I thought was fresh, you know? And so <laughs> I, I fell in love with Prince early on because of my aunt. Mm-hmm. So I'm buying Prince records by the time I'm 11, 12, I'm buying Run DMC records. That's what, that's what I had. If, if, if you were Prince or anything that he touched, you know, the family, the yeah. time, all that stuff, you know, um, I hadn't even really fully gotten to understand Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis yet at that point. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't until I tried to learn how to mix that I was like, Oh, this SOS band thing yeah. works. You, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, yeah. but, but, but so with that, with that, I knew that, you know, greatness was achievable because Prince wasn't just from the neighborhood and wasn't just who my aunt thought was cool, but he was on the TV. He was, you know, he was, he was greatness. And so as a kid, I understood greatness was achievable because this guy who went to the same like high school my dad went to yeah. is great. You know what I'm saying? And so I do think that that played a role on me specifically, but also a lot of us, you know what I'm saying? Because even though by the time we were moving around the city, um, even in our teenage years, Prince was no longer accessible yeah. to any of us. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he was, he was huge, but the fact that the ghosts were around us, you know what I'm saying? Mm. And specifically because it was just him. I would think that in a city like New York or, you know, uh, even to go globally, London, Berlin, Paris, in them cities, there are so many greats that have come out of there that you don't even, rec- you don't even notice the ghosts. They're just everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Whereas with Prince, it was just Prince. And so there was just the Prince ghost. There was the rumor mm-hmm. of this greatness, you know? And so I wanted that. And I didn't know how I was going to get it. I, like I said, I wanted to be a DJ. You know what I mean? Like, and, I, and that's that's what I was going for. So that's what I was really trying to like get in on. It wasn't just I. I grew up fully in love with this culture. Um, I wanted to rep it all. I, I wrote graffiti, I break dance. I I wanted to be a DJ. I even rhymed. I didn't take rhyming very serious. It was like my least serious of it all because that was more like, oh, that's just a, for, I'm clowning in the hallway at school. Yeah. Um, but I loved this culture. But I also loved the idea of attention i wanted people to look at me i wanted people to like hear me you know what i'm saying i did not want to be anonymous and and so you know as much as i'd love to be like hey man i really chased after this because i love this culture and i was such an advocate i know that there's a part of me that also just was like an attention whore i just wanted <laughs> people to see me you know what I mean? look at me you know what i mean like, I, I wanted to tell jokes i wanted to be the class clown i wanted to make people laugh i wanted all that and so i feel like when purple rain happened, I saw that in Prince. I was like, this dude is an attention whore. He wants uh-huh. people to laugh at his jokes, all that. And I totally related to that as well. You know what I'm saying? When I seen that movie the first time, I had to see it in the dollar theater because I was a kid. I, nobody was letting me in to see purple rain in the main theater, but at the dollar theater, they'll let anybody in. You know what I'm saying? And so we waited until purple rain hit the dollar theater. And yeah, I was mesmerized. Like I already knew I liked them, but that, that, that's, I, so- I have not. Was this even so answer grow, the question? What was the original so, question? I, but so grow, we're just we're just vibing and riffing off, what, yeah, yeah. We, you know, being a musician or an artist or rapper or an aspiring young DJ in Minneapolis was like. And I, uh, now I 
our two paths diverged. The similarities I could see between Minneapolis and Lund, Sweden, uh, because we never had a prince. So I, I guess what I'm hearing you saying is that there must have been some kind of pride in that legacy that, oh, yeah, we have this hometown hero. His name is Prince and global pop music god as he was or became in the first part of the 80s that really must have lifted the entire city so that's one thought that i have uh but also if uh like would you guys see him around town like i mean because he i mean i guess he was out on a perpetual tours but he never really left minneapolis at the same time he had his you know paisley park was there and stuff i I never went to any of the parties at Paisley Park. I had friends that would go and uh, and I almost didn't want to because I didn't want to like see behind the curtain mm-hmm. of what I had built in my own head. You know what I mean? Um, so people would often be like, do you want to go? And also I knew, what are you going to do, man? You're going to go out there and stand against a wall. I'm not going to go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to yeah, do yeah, what yeah. I do. I'm going to do what I do here at these spots and I can't just go there and do that because there's, you know, it just, it just wasn't right. So I never, I never, I saw Prince one time outside of the times that I've paid to see Prince. Like I've been to a a handful of shows, but one time he showed up at a spot that, um, in the nineties that we used to freestyle at, you know, it, oh, they, cool. they, they, they do this thing on Wednesdays where they would let so people he just from rolled into a local, like open mic night. Uh, 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 yeah, basically an improv, a, a improv That's night. He rolled dope. up. Yeah. He was friends with a woman. Uh, Robin Robinson was her name. She was on the local news here, but she was mm-hmm. like a celebrity because she kicked it. You'd see her. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah. so they were friends. She brought him to this spot one night and we all really, <laughs> like if it, it felt like oh, she man. did that as a we it felt like she did that as a favor to us you feel yeah, me it, it was one of these yeah. things where i was like did she really just bring prince up in here this is tight you know what i mean and and, and that's the <laughs> that's the one time i ever was 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 like actually in a, in a room with dude. and did, did you get on the mic that night i was already on the mic when they walked in wow we we were wow. on stage there was a handful of us i've told this story before um but but not to not to too many people we were on the stage like we do and uh, there's a fellow named John on the on the piano, and and, and, and you know I, I can't remember who was on drums, but it was okay, so it was with a live band. The live band on Wednesdays. Yeah. It was called Freeloaded Wednesdays. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and uh, here he comes, and, and one of the one of the one of the other MCs standing next to me is like, "Hey, is that, is that little dude over there?" And I'm already knowing. I'm like, yeah, "That yeah, is." Yeah. I'm like, "That is," yeah. you know. And so and so and this is the mid '90s, right? So I hadn't really gotten too far outside of my city but in my city i was bubbling Mm -hmm. Uh and so i do you know i just go in and i'll rhyme for 20 minutes you don't cut me off you know Uh what i'm saying so i just go in and i start rapping my eyes are closed i'm just vibing and it was like when we freestyle with the band it wasn't just like you know i'm over your head like a rafter it was like you know (laughs) start trying to describe a tree and all kinds of crazy you know i mean it was like it was just stream of consciousness you know Uh and all of a sudden john starts beating on the piano and I'm like, oh, man, he's showing off. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's going in. And usually, you know, they'll give you some breathing room to let you do your thing. But right now, it's like I'm battling with the piano. Today and I turn and look, and it's it's him. Yeah. Oh, nice. nice. Seriously. It, he, and there. so I was like, let me fall back. <laughs> you know, so I'm going to cool. shut up. <laughs> so you were actually jamming with Prince. I got to rhyme for, I'm going to say, somewhere between 60 seconds and, and, and three That's minutes crazy. on top of we had an overlap, a transition. Once I realized he was there, I fell back because I was like, hey, I can't rap to what he's doing. It's just, it <laughs> yeah. would be wrong. It's also you know what I mean? Like, crazy. It's also crazy. It's like a pro 
it's like, uh, you know, from the part of Sweden where I'm from, we have a pro football, uh, soccer player named Slatan Ibrahimovic. It's like he's hopping in uh, and uh, seeing some kids play soccer and like, all right. I no. mean, it's like a no, it, no, it's not. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, but it's beyond. No, it's not. I'll tell you what. No, as a young as a young kid playing soccer that night. Yes, it was. He yeah, him hopping in that game with me made me go, oh, OK, because for the rest of the night, I had to step it up. Even after he yeah. left, he listen, he hit the piano for like a handful of minutes and then. Yeah hopped off the stage and beelined out the door he didn't even dude was in the building for <laughs> yeah, under 10 seconds yeah. anywhere else yeah, yeah man he yeah. was like okay i did it you know yeah, and yeah. and it was enough to make me step it up that night yeah. and maybe for the rest of my life who knows you know what i'm saying it's like i also think with prince it's also interesting because his relationship with hip-hop has always been interesting right like there's only a couple of times where he really 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 goes in lyrically on it obviously it infuses his music a lot and inspired him but like uh sign of the time that's obviously like that's a time when he he does it uh get off a little bit later he has a couple of rhymes in there uh alphabet alphabet street uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, alphabet yeah. street you know he he has he, he works with it there it's not a lot throughout the whole but i will thing. Uh, but it, I, I will say that maybe rapping was the one thing he couldn't do within music. I mean, he could dance, he could play every instrument, he could sing, you know. But no, he really couldn't. You're right. He yeah, wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't a great MC. That's not or a great rapper. I'll say. You know, it was like when he rhymed. It reminded me of like when greats are like going, "Oh, that's what's happening now. Let me, let me, let me touch that too." Yeah. yeah. Even yeah. though you shouldn't be touching that, you know, you saw. You saw greats doing it. Quincy did a few things here and there where you'd be like, I don't know if Quincy Jones <laughs> needed to go there. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, but, but they're just, they're just, when, when I really step back and look at it, they're just touching it. When Prince was rapping, I took it personal. Almost every time mm. I heard him rhyme, I was like, Oh, stop. You know, like, yeah. Mm, mm. But now in hindsight, I'm like, you know what? He just was go touching ahead. him. Yeah. He just had a, he just had to show, Oh, I can write a concerto. I can do this. I can do, oh, I can bust a couple of rhymes. He just, he had to touch it. He had to see, because, uh. What if just just like he had to touch that piano at the, you know, at the exactly. improv night, you know, like he couldn't just let it be for one. It's like, no, I'm going to get up there. I'm going to, you know, can I? But it's also kind of a true musicianship to be mm -hmm. like wherever there's music being played, I'll join if I can. And of course, being Prince, who's going to tell him no at any point. Right. And it felt it felt like a, a favor to us when he, after yeah. he did that, things were yeah. like, oh, a little bit more that, lively. You know what I mean? Like it's dope, man. Yeah. Can I ask you about the city of Minneapolis? Because I spent a lot of time there, and it's kind of like some hidden gems. You, it's first of all, it's a twin city, right? So very different energy between Minneapolis and Saint Paul. And then it took me a long time to kind of figure out where's the black culture, where's the culture. And then you have places like Uptown and places like Loring Cafe and places like that. That arts, you know, the of the arts and culture can really breathe. People know about First Avenue because not just Prince, but there's been a lot of shows and stuff like that there. What was some other spot? And culturally in Minneapolis, St. Paul, how did you guys get around and where was the best sort of clubs for you guys to perform and come up in, this, in these twin cities? For us specifically, uh, I grew up on the South Side. And as a younger kid, I didn't, I, I wasn't, I didn't have the opportunities to travel <clears throat> to St. Paul or the North side mm. to go to parties. I had to take buses. I had to be back home by a certain time. I was mm -hmm. trying to live by the rules, but yep. I still had to go party. So we would go to the park jams. Mm. Uh, there was a couple of DJs and DJ crews who would 
basically do the same thing I read about in the history books, only they did a Minneapolis version of it. They would go into the park and they'd be like, yo, we'd like to, you know, put together a party, you know, uh, in the in the gymnasium of the park. And then on a yeah. Friday night at like 6 p.m., there'd be a party <laughs> from like 6 to 10 or 11. You know what I'm saying? And it would be geared towards people who can't go to the clubs. Mm-hmm. You nice, know? nice. Um, and people would be breakdancing. The DJ would be scratching and mixing. People would be hanging out, wearing whatever their whatever their nicest thing was that week you know what i'm saying it was it was it was the full the full experience for somebody like me who didn't know any better you know and so going into these things and meeting other people who likes to go out and write on shit or, or 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 seeing people you know rhyme battles things of this nature at this young age i was i was really kind of fortunate that we had this kind of a scene going on that 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 allowed kids to take part in i was a kid man i was like 13 14 years old you know so we're talking late 80s like 80 87 86 like 87, 86 yep 87 yeah, yeah. yep and uh uh you know that turned into at least for me I started really collecting 12 inches after seeing parties like that. And I started really growing my record collection. I'm doing odd jobs, shovel sidewalks, just so I could be part of a, a record pool and get records. Oh. Like I was a DJ. Like I told them I'm a DJ. I really am. I really yeah, am. Yeah, yeah. And so I got in the record pools and started getting, getting records, you know, and, and building my, my library and making little tapes, you know, and, and yeah. I never, I never really quite got it as a DJ in town. I never got it. It didn't happen. My, my, my path didn't lay that out for me. What ended up happening instead is I got into music. I got mm-hmm. into going going to see bands play, going to see rappers play, all these things. And I was just like, man, like I'm not progressing really trying to, you know, I, am I mm-hmm. even really trying anymore? I'm writing rhymes now. What's happening? You know, and by the time I really got it, I was already I'd already transitioned to rapping mm-hmm. now. By that during that era, though, there was so much because now I had a car or at least homies who had a car. So I was able to go to St. Paul. I was able to go to the north side. I was able to do these things. And that's when I really got to start to see how many dope DJs there were in the city. And I think that helped kind of reinforce that I am not going to be that dope. I don't have... I don't have the you, drive. You could see that already then. <laughs> yeah. I could see that. I didn't have I mean, the drive. Because, because oh, it's interesting what you're saying. I think anyone like I think about Marcus, for example, as a chef and myself as an MC. It's as a kid, you imagine yourself there way before you're there. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't realize or I didn't really ponder the fact that for the first five years as an MC, that my songs were not that good. Not until, you know, later. Could I look back and say, oof, that was really awful stuff. But luckily, somehow I kept going, right? And didn't let go of it. Um, so I, was, I, think- I was love stories like that. Like you saw yourself in a place way before you were there. And I, I don't know if we lose that ability a little bit when we become uh, adults or if we lose that ability a lot when we become adults. I'm sure that's different. But I just think so, it's a, yeah, it's beautiful. You were, you were dreaming about being on a level that you weren't at yet oh man i mm. i was dreaming about being one part jam master j and then i wanted to be on <laughs> i wanted to be on the radio i felt mm. like the the djs that were on the radio were the greatest so if you could be jam master j on the radio if you could if you could mix and scratch live on air you know uh that was the epitome and as i transitioned out of it i had a friend who was like i need a dj for my group 
I just need somebody to cut and scratch behind and, and play my beats. And I was like, I can do that all day. Like I got this. Cause then I can hang out with you. We can practice, put together our little sets and our little sequences, you know what I'm saying? And that transitioned into him going, you know, I used to see you rapping. You still rap, right? And I'm like, yeah, I rap. And then I just became the other rapper in the group. So I, I, I fully, fully, you know, oh, I, I fully transitioned out of DJing aside from later in life where I'm like, man, I want to get, I want to DJ a party now, especially yeah. now that I can. Now that I can be like, hey, I want to come DJ you know, your party. And then be like, oh, one thing, but you don't have to hit the like transformer scratch. Anymore, oh, man. Right? I guess. I guess. I could <laughs> honestly, I'll get up there now and, and just make a mess. And if people, you know, it's one of those <laughs> things now where it's like, I'm going to do it just to do it. Like it doesn't, you know, I, I don't expect greatness. But, but it's more like, I want to just have fun. On one level, let's face it. I mean, I imagine like if you go down to, the the you know the local uh improv night now where mcs if there is one where mcs are freestyling it's gonna have a similar effect to when prince came to the one i imagine it back in the days when you were a kid you know that's i have never actually put that together but you saying that right now kind of freaks me out because yeah. uh because i do show up at the things yeah you yeah. know, this is this is actually touching so that's, on that's that, that's touching kids, you know, the, the people that, are, you know, 13, 17, whatever, who want to come up because there are the two major themes are not only are you, uh, uh, you know, founder and 50 percent and half of legendary hip hop group that is known around the world atmosphere, but also equally known and legendary rhyme sayers entertainment, you know. Those are two huge achievements that not not everybody does. So I would imagine if I was a kid and I was from the same town as you and you step in, I'd be like, whoa, okay, he's yo, I want him to hear me rhyme because maybe I get, you know, signed to rhyme sayers or whatever. See, this is something that uh I was oblivious to until recently. I had mm -hmm. a conversation with a friend of mine and he said a few things that really resonated. And, and what you're talking about right now is, is bringing me to that And in, in, in here. And in, in, in I'm just going to talk about it real quick. Uh, I had, uh, no, I wouldn't say a difficult time. It was impossible for me to see myself, how other people see me. I don't know why I just didn't consider it. Uh, I didn't. I, and so in, in, in doing that, I maybe intentionally, or, or non, uh, I stayed oblivious to who I was to other people and just mm. stayed in touch with who I was to myself and to my yeah, people who are close to me. Yeah. So when I walk into a room, I forget that maybe these young MCs see me as such and I just see mm. who I am. And, and, and I feel like I've done a disservice to myself as well as to others in doing that. And that's something that I've actually mm. been trying to, to work on and look at is like, you know, you got to meet people halfway because you also should be according and you should, you should present somebody that is in line with how they're seeing you, but you should present your best version of that. You know what I'm saying? Because it's yeah, like, absolutely. it's, it's important to model that, but it's important yeah. to be aware of just not self-awareness of who you are, but who other people see you as. And I, I thought I was doing but the right a, thing. But that's a fine line. I think with fame in general is that I think it's like, for your mental health, I think it's important to keep what you're saying that, you know, see you as who you see yourself as and want to be Bully. rather than try to think, oh, what are other people thinking about me, of course. Uh, but at the same time, as you're saying, being able to just embrace the kind of voluntary and involuntary mentorship that being somebody famous from a place means that people are going to 
learn just by seeing what you do. And some may learn from seeing, from hearing what you were actually telling them. Um, so it's a fine line, but it's, no, a, that's, it's very interesting. It's real. And, and I feel, I feel, I love it. And now I'm waiting for this plague to get over so I can go out and exercise that and, and, mm, and, and, yeah. and, and deal with that because I feel like it's important for me to figure out how to deal with that. I feel mm. like, you know, and, and, and as you said, you know, the, the mental health side of it is a part of why I was always like, just, just keep it real, be true, be mm-hmm. what you, you know, how, how do you feel? Show, show, but it's like, the truth is there's so much room for misinterpretation. And so mm. if I'm not having the best day, like anybody doesn't have the best day. And if mm. my energy gives that off in, in a particular environment, that can actually become detrimental to somebody who may, you know, it's, it's that don't meet mm. your that don't meet your heroes kind of thing. And that's not me saying I'm anybody's hero, but more so saying, Hey, you know, there's a reason why we say don't meet your heroes. And that's because you find out they're regular ass people with regular ass problems, et cetera, et cetera. So I I don't want to hide the fact that I'm regular people with regular problems, but I just want to make sure that I nurture this relationship that was created before I even met this person who's standing in front of me right now. You know what I'm saying? It's like that, that person may have a idea of who I am or, and I've never seen this person before. And so I've got to make sure I'm nurturing whatever this, whatever this relationship is between us. It's, Mm. it's, it's how I talk to all everybody. Now it's like even talking to you guys in this podcast, it's like, I want to make sure that it's like, Hey, you know, you say these nice things about me, rhyme sayers and this and that. And but I'm this dude. So how do I find a way to meet in the middle and make sure that I say, hey, thanks for saying these nice things about me, but still also show you ah, I'm just a fucking dipshit like everybody else. <laughs> Sean, tell us a little bit. How did how did you like I'm going to start an indie rap label? That's a exactly. big idea. That's a big it's, idea, by the way. You how started did that, come that about? even before the group. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. It wasn't so much that we, interestingly, when we talked about my grand visions as a kid of what I wanted to be on that stage, um, by the time I got into my 20s, <clears throat> those grand visions went away. Mm. I now, I rapped in a local rap group for fun. There was no future in it. I knew that. I had a child already. I was working oh, wow. uh, full-time total work ethic guy getting up at 5 30 in the morning to go to work and i rapped on the side because it was a way to have fun and still connect with my friends um it was an excuse to smoke weed too which was kind of a it <laughs> was, was had become had become a thing in my life in this time you know what i'm saying in this in this time i was like i, I was like hippie this was hippie sean you know what i'm saying like mm. And, and that's what we used to say back in the day with people who potheads were hippies, you know, like it was a different Sean. I was peace and love and trying to figure out how to adjust to a, uh, the, the, the universe as a dad and as a person who wanted to love my job because it provided health insurance for my kid type of a human. And then people started going, man, I like I like your raps. And that was we did not foresee this. You know what I'm saying? And um, I reconnected with somebody I'd went to high school. His name is Sadiq. He, for all, just to keep it, you know, super obvious and 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 um, Sadiq is really the the brains and even the drive behind Rhyme Sayers. You know, his last name is Sayers. Rhyme Sayers. It's yeah. named after him. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and so, <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and so the con- the contribution that we made the, the thing that makes us partners is we did we went out and did the rapping we went out and made and made the music we, we and then we contributed resources 
to our belief in his idea. You know what I mean? But 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 Rhyme Sayers is him, you know, and mm. and I, I love when people are they give me all this credit. I'm like, man, could you imagine me having to make decisions for a record label or any <laughs> kind of business like that's just not in my wheelhouse? You know, it never has been. I, I am a work ethic person. I'll go do the work. You tell me what you want. You want stickers up on that mirror? I'll go put uh, stickers on that mirror. You want me to hang posters? You want me? That was me all day. So that was my contribution to it. Uh, but but I will I see a, like a similarity, Marcus, with how being a chef on the level that you are and also running a record label or being a co-owner of a, a founder and co-owner of a, a record label that is also very kind of uh, uh, has this magnetic effect on artists, you know, all over the world is that you have uh, you both have a responsibility for these like up and coming stars or or people that are already stars and it's dealing with a lot of people's expectations maybe disappointments but just like it's a lot myself i ran a a, a little indie uh, hip-hop label in sweden for 10 years and it was really I, I thought i found it really difficult to kind of be um responsible for other people's dreams in a sense and especially when things didn't go the way that they wanted now for all our listeners out there and for those of our listeners who may not know like rhyme sayers on their roster uh through through the past two decades have been people like brother ali dilated peoples you know atmosphere of course aesop rock uh uh jake one um hasn't MF Doom even released released stuff uh, with Rhyme Sayers and uh, Budo from Seattle Blueprint? Yeah, it was just like incredible. Gene Gray, uh, Gene Gray has done stuff, right? Wow, yeah. It's, wow, uh, we haven't been fortunate enough to have any Gene Gray records no. yet, but I, I I'm I'm, mm. I'm going to hold my breath for that. I want that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, you but, know, here's but, the th it, 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 it touching on that. It's like I as um as an artist tend to kind of be like um almost like a uh, i'm the artist friendly person uh other artists talk to me i'm not a suit i guess would be one way to put it uh not mm -hmm. so much that i'm the artist ambassador but more so like i'm an actual artist mm -hmm. and i got i have issues with the label you know what I'm saying? We, we, we go <laughs> with, your, with your own label. That's yeah, interesting. We, I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. We go through yeah. things. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, and so yeah. it's like, and so with that, <clears throat> I, I do feel like um it, it allows artists to to talk to me, or at least when 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 I'm when I'm giving them information, they can take it and see what kind of value is on that because of my position, you know. And mm. and and that is a, you know, that's the other important thing that I note about the label is that I don't make any decisions there intentionally not because i'm it's it's not chess i'm not playing chess with it it's that i don't trust my decision making in that in that yeah. world you know what i'm yeah. saying i i could never be like oh here make decisions on what another artist is going to get from like marketing budget you know what i mean like, I, <laughs> yeah, 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 and, no, and no, also no. there's yeah. there's so much room in there for you know uh conflicts of interest too yeah. that it's just like i'd rather stay clean of all of it you know mm. um mm. but i do know when we started, we had no idea that we would work with all these artists that you just named and, and more. And and we literally did it out of necessity. There was no there was no 
next step up on the industry. You know, mm-hmm. when, when I said I had moved to rapping, I started rapping with this friend, an old friend, Sadiq Sayers, had reconnected with us. He was rounding up a bunch of dope MCs from Minneapolis and St. Paul because he wanted to start a label. So he was basically like farming the talent like he would have people hang out with each other and he would have people over to his basement and everybody would be sitting around rapping talking dreaming and there i was his age going yeah i don't know about all this dream but i like hanging out with you guys rapping you know what i'm saying it's like but i was not i did not foresee a career in this i thought i was doing this and i was just killing time and it was just a great place to put my energy and work you know it was just another place to keep me from doing anything making horrible choices yeah. i was making these other choices you know and as a as a new father who was confused and who was trying to organize and do things the right way it felt like a a, a, a great use of my energy and if i only smoked weed there i was doing great <laughs> you know what i'm saying like i'm not taking it home with me i'm not you yeah, know what i'm saying yeah. so it became i wasn't going to bars and yeah. stuff you know it was like my weekend spot to go make songs and that's how we met Ant anthony he's he's he came in to start providing beats for all the different people that sadiq was working with and whatever and you know the clubs weren't letting us in um we had gone through a few things there had been a few um pretty large fights that occurred one specifically one fight occurred at first half at an ice cube show and it was famous in the city for what occurred. You know, it was like a huge ordeal because they they like fought the staff. Like they went, they they like 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 it was like it was like I ain't gonna say no names, but there were actually people on the tour fighting. You know what I'm saying? It's like it was like famous, you know. And as magnificent so as it all sounded, it it squished the hip hop scene in the clubs because first I was like, you know what? We can't do hip hop anymore because every time we do, there's some kind of fight. And then all the other clubs see that and they go, well, same story all around the world. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we started throwing our own shows inside of coffee shops. Coffee shops are like, what do you want to do? And you're like, we want to bring in two turntables, 20 rappers and do spoken word and freestyle yeah. for four hours. What do you think? And the coffee shops are like, that sounds great. You know, it's so so they let us in and it was incredible. Wow. The energy. It was like, who needs, who needs a bar? Yeah. It's like, there's, mm-hmm. there's no alcohol here. People are still just lit having this. The energy was insane and everybody knew it and seen it. And that's when, when we were like, oh, this is, this is not just us kicking in the basement. You know, we went in there with the whole conglomerate of people that Sadiq had been pulling together and pulled off a show that was freestyle off the cuff, nowhere. And people left feeling like they had gotten something for their $2. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we just kept doing it over and over and over. And then we started really like hammering out the the the, the promotions of it in on just flyer. You know what I'm saying? Flyers, record stores. Uh, we were taping it up, taping up posters uh, uh, backwards, facing inward at the colleges and the high schools so that when people came to class, if there were any still up, these things were just glued to the windows. Like we were just dumb with it. And it and it and it worked, you know, and it just was one baby step after another, and and, and a couple of us started trying to get on the road. We were pressing vinyl, et cetera, et cetera, and and that's just how the label started, fully because none of us felt either confident or somebody like me who felt like, well, that's a waste of time to to, to send demos off to some place in New York, you know, who's gonna who's gonna look. At, uh, hey, I got this <laughs> Manila envelope from Minneapolis. Anybody want to hear this? Hell no. You know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, so, so we just did it to to do it, you know? And uh, 
And again, I don't think anybody at that label, including Sadiq, I can't speak for him, obviously, but I'd be surprised if he could ever be like, yeah, I knew this was going to happen. I knew this was going to pop yeah. off because I don't think any of us did. I think we were just like taking it as it came. What, 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 was, what was in front of us? Do it? Should we do this or not? All right, yeah. let's go. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. You know, but it's a great story, you know. It's, it's a great incredible. story. And, and, you know, you're more than two decades, yeah. uh, both with years. Rhyme Sayers. Yeah, both with Rhyme Sayers and Atmosphere. Uh, you got your father of three now. So I guess, you know, your oldest must be about as old as you were when you started Rhyme Sayers. Oh, he's uh, older. Yeah, he's older. Like, oh, he's even older. So very few artists, very few hip hop indie labels have that lifespan to be, you know, current, uh, to, to, you know, just to survive that long. Um, how is it now where you are now in life, uh, um, you know, being a part of atmosphere, of course, now you haven't been on tour during the pandemic, but, but, you know, up until then and, and inshallah afterwards as well, of course. Um, but, but how does, how does that look like for where you are at, in life now? Oh, it's interesting because we have just like how it started. We still have no idea what we're doing. Hmm. Like we've learned a few, we got some muscle memory for when certain things show up, but there's, there's plenty of things that we're just like, well, whoa, whoa, what do you want to do about that? You know what I mean? It's just like, you're still just kind of taking it as you go. And we, we're not, if we had some kind of thing, we're like, okay, every December we record every this, 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 but it's like, it's still always just like all over the place. And so I still kind of feel this weird rush of adrenaline every time I have to like stop and figure out what the next six months to 12 months are going to look like. Um, you know, we've learned a few tricks, uh, play the, play the old songs live but still put out new songs on a regular basis, play the old songs live, put out new songs. And it used to be like, Oh, That's we made a, a record. Tip. We made a record so that we could go on tour. Exactly. And now I realize we don't have to make a record to go on tour and we don't have to go on tour to make a record. There are two oh, very, oh. very separate things for us now. That is, yeah, that's a, a that's a deep insight though. It's a good that place mean- to be. It's a good mm-hmm. place to be. Cause when I make my music, I don't have to even consider like it used to be, used to be like, I don't care what people think. I'm making what I want to make. Yeah, everybody has that feeling, right? Until mm-hmm. people start to like your music. Then you're like, oh, I wonder if they're going to like this, you know? And then mm-hmm. I'm at this next phase where I'm back to like going, huh? I don't know that it matters if people like this new album or not. Like mm-hmm. I'm making this to make Anthony laugh. This song was so that he would be like, oh, I can't believe you said that. This song would be so that he would chuckle. This song, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm back to making music specifically 
for the immediate reaction of Anthony first and foremost. Then I want to see what my kids think when I play it in the car without without even like introing it just be oh oh that kid is singing the chorus oh that's tight you know it's back to me not really having to consider what the audience thinks just like it was in the beginning you know but the difference is in the beginning you you were like i I almost defiantly i don't care what the audience thinks now it's not even a defiant thing it's just kind of like it doesn't matter if they like the new music if they trust me if they trust where i'm gonna go with this music they might not, they might hear this record and be like, yeah, I'm not feeling it. And then five years later, be like, yo, that record actually was good. And I didn't even realize, you know what I mean? It's like, I have this, I have this process with it now where it's kind of like, if it grows on you, it grows. If you like it out the gate, I'm cool with that too. I still want to take left turns and, and not give you what you was expecting. But, but at the end of the day, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what mm. people want. I don't know what people like. I know that they want me to play something from 2007. Every time I get on the stage, I'm fine with that because I still have a pretty good relationship with a lot of that music. You know what I'm saying? It's like, there's certain songs just like you might know, there's certain songs of your past that you might, I don't, I don't, I don't ever need to play that. I don't want to, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to show it. I don't want to be it. They're they're often the ones that don't don't work too well live anyway. It's like the natural kind of musical Darwinism kind of thing. They kind of fall off, but okay. But let me ask you a piece of advice just uh, from one MC to another. Seriously. Because uh, I'm I'm only the father of one and I become became a father late. So I was 43 when I had my daughter. She's now three and a half beyond everything else. And rhyme sayers it, within atmosphere. You're also or I, as I know you is as a, a dope rapper, you know, who writes and, and spits really kind of literary lyrics and like stories and, and like, you know, I just I, a real bona fide MC, like as a father of three, how do you find time to write that type of like to spend the, those hours in the studio to write those lyrics? I mean, both through the years, but also today. Three and a half year old. I have a, a kid that just turned four. That's that's a great age, oh, wow. by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I got I actually have four kids. I got four sons wow. actually. The okay. oldest one, the oldest one's an adult, and then uh, somewhere in my late thirties, started having them again, and. Yeah. It's very, very different experience uh, mm. between the first kid and then the next batch of kids. But mm. the time that I I have to, I had to um, create a work schedule where for I would wake up, do what I had to do as a father, get kids out the door to school, what have you, and then immediately go to the studio. Boom. And yeah. I would be there until lunchtime. And then at lunch, I would maybe... Uh, go and have lunch with whatever family was around and then so i kept the studio close you know what i mean and so it's like Mm -hmm. um but i had to treat it like a job and Mm -hmm. i feel like if i hadn't if i just would have waited around for you know inspiration to strike or something like that who knows i I wouldn't have been those uh, 16 hours in the studio you know uh smoking a j and waiting for like just vibing you can't do that anymore I would just, yeah, I, so I, I go and I just start writing and I force it. And, and then ever since I started forcing it, I love it. It's like, like it, it actually gives me, it's like now I feel like there's a purpose that's way more than the, the, it, the, it's almost as if the destination, the destination is no longer as important as the path. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, there's this purpose that I'm, with working with that I'm akin to that if even if this doesn't end up being a song that part of it didn't matter what mattered was I'm I'm using the muscles I'm working I'm doing this and 
I'm, I'm getting it in, you know, I'm compiling yeah. material Marcus, for no reason. Marcus, Marcus, you must have the exact same kind of feeling when you had Zion that like, cause I mean, I know you spend hours and hours and hours and hours, like all the waking hours of the day in the kitchen. Well, first of all, listening to this conversation, I really love it because your path in many ways are very similar, right? You guys in the mid nineties, 96, I mean, Jason, it's kind of like parallel, almost like your career path and <laughs> to listening to this mm -hmm. and also coming from, we all come from smaller cities, right? Lund, Gothenburg, mm -hmm. Minneapolis. And I think it's also very aspirational to listen to all talent doesn't come from London, New York, <laughs> or Paris or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I was just thinking about your timeline with Juju Record. It's a little bit uh, after, but it's pretty similar. Like, you know, that idea of having, being a chef and owning a restaurant, but mostly being on the cook side, right? I can have, mm -hmm. uh, I can have issues when I'm on the cook side, <laughs> but as an owner of the restaurant, I have to think about from the owner's point of view. And I, I also don't trust my decisions on that, right? So I kind of no, leave right. that to a partner because I know what it is to f be a cook and feel, you know, that grind. So I can, I'm very often, I'm very biased, you know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> and some, most of the time it's actually not beneficial for the restaurant. I'm mostly just with my crew in the kitchen, right? So there are so many creative similarities. Obviously, obviously your path work is more in the same field but as a creative you know it's it's you you just have to plow forward and the love for the craft when i think about all the three of us paths right we basically came up around similar time and it's like the love for the craft you know and you talk about sean you talk a lot about work ethic and you know for me too mm -hmm. like if i'm working then i'm no i wouldn't go out and do something destructive so like the restaurant, especially when I was a kid coming up, my parents were so happy I was working in the kitchen because, you know, as other kids, they stole a car or they did other stupid stuff, right? I didn't have time mm. to do any of that stuff. So I always feel like mm. food always and kitchens always saved me from a lot of extra time. I didn't have time to mess up. But the one thing that we've had more laid out as a path that maybe the music world doesn't have the same it's mentorship. You are not considered mm. a chef unless you mentored. Being a chef is not just cooking. You are a mentor. This is like the unwritten mm. written rules Rule, that yeah. part of getting yeah. that chef done is that you are mentoring at least a bunch of young students that, uh, you know, you're saving from doing something wrong or you're, you're elevating. So I think that that's one thing that was very helpful to me to have mentors coming up and I still have mentors. I have young mentors and I have uh, old mentors, you know, and all the mentors mm. for me now. Mm. I have mentors now that are like, like 26 that teach me about <laughs> young shit, you know what I mean? Mm -mm -mm. But that's like part of being a chef and where I was like, okay, that's interesting because you have to mentor it through even when you have bad days and you have to be transparent about that and share like, listen, you catch him on a rough I, day. I will, I will say the mentorship in, in like at the way I experienced it with uh, often older rappers or, you know, musicians was that they weren't trying to teach me shit. But I could <laughs> observe, I could observe what they were doing and learn, you know, learn by kind of imitating almost. You know? Yeah. Uh, Why do you one guy, one guy who actually taught me how, uh, how to, uh, uh, 
you know, as I would write my rhymes in my notepad, group them into two bar groups and talk nice. me about bars and Who stuff was like that? that? Give me his name. Kwaku, Kwaku, nice. also known as Kent. Yeah. You know, dope, dope guy. Yes. Um, I owe him a lot. That was why the do you only think... kind of voluntary mentor I had. Sorry, Sean. Why do you think that uh, that in rap, the, there was less of a mentorship? I, when I came up, everybody was trying, like all the other MCs, and especially the ones that were older, were trying to be, you know, stars in their own right. They weren't really trying to look out for, like I had other friends that were MCs, and we'd all, but I don't think we saw that as mentorship. We would just hang out, just like I picture you guys in, the, in Sadiq's basement in, in Minneapolis. It was just, we were vibing, it was freestyle sessions, but also kind of a friendly type of uh, uh competition going on because you were always trying to outdo each other and like you know drop a cassette tape in with something really new and fresh that would blow your friend's mind um so do, do you think with the older heads they uh shied away from mentoring the younger heads because of the 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 fact that the younger one was there to replace them the competition you know what I'm saying you don't want to you don't want to teach the person who's going to end up like eating you is that yeah, is I it? Guess, is, I guess in a sense, maybe, or just that we weren't good enough, you know, when I was when I was really young. Because hip hop specifically, you hear and you see a lot of the back and forth of the older heads criticizing what the younger yeah. ones sound like, and and mm -hmm, it's funny because mm -hmm. when I was when I was a kid, my father, who, you I mean technically was probably the first person that ever played rapper's delight for me because it would be on his his the radio in his car is where i would hear this music and, and at the time i didn't even know that's hip-hop and that's not it was just all music in my dad's car you know mm -hmm. but he would be the one to later in life be like well, this run dmc this is wow. noise why are wow. you listening you know what i'm saying and then so mm -hmm. now you you look at the older heads and the way they criticize and it's it's almost like a it's like it's like a, a rite of passage to become old enough to criticize what the younger ones sound like you know what i'm <laughs> exactly, saying and and, yeah. and the younger ones nowadays like we used to at least have a little bit of reverence for the older heads mm -hmm. but just a little you know what i'm saying we didn't we didn't we didn't we had to get older to finally start saying oh i really respect the elders of rap mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying yeah, it's yeah, like absolutely but, but, you don't say so, that when you're 19 <laughs> no man when, when i was 17 i loved melly mel but i wasn't mm -hmm. like yo i respect melly mel you know what i mean like it, it's like <laughs> Now no, I am older. Know. I'm like, yeah, Millie Mel, you know, it, yeah. it, but but I guess what I'm saying is like it's it, there's a not an ageism, but there's just almost this like generational beef mm. that happens here that I think keeps the mentorship from. And, and I and and I concern for that because I want to be a mentor, mm. but mm. it's a weird space to try to occupy because mm. it's like for me, that means I'm trying to show you I know what I'm doing. Because I, if you exactly, really look closely, exactly. if you look closely, I don't know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. but it, it's, uh, yeah. it's also different. You know what I mean? Like you as a kid, as a mentee, you got to be open for it. Like when I came up in Sweden, I knew that I had to go abroad and there was an older chef. They're just like you. I will send you abroad. And I was like, when tomorrow? I was like, I'll tell you when. I'll, I'll tell your parents when. Right, give you six mm -hmm. months notice, and he did to the dot. Right, like boom, he sent to Switzerland. When I came to the States, this guy that I've admired so much, I had one of his books, and I had to save up to get his book. His name is Rest in Peace, Charlie Trotter from Chicago. He came to dinner in a restaurant and walked in after dinner into my kitchen and said, "You need help." <laughs> wow he just oh, walked straight wow. in and said See, that's that could be devastating yeah and i was like i hear. stood there yeah. but he's like and i'm gonna help you out he didn't just say acknowledge like and he's like you need help 
but I'm here to support mm. you, right? And I was like, mm. I'm going to mentor you. And I was like, okay, should I call you? No, I'll let you know. And like three months later, he faxed me something because it was back in the day. <laughs> Come to Chicago. We have this chef event where you can be a fly on the wall. And it was a chef event with, with Nobu and uh, Adrian um, uh, Ferran Adria, which was Albuya, which was the biggest chef in the world at the time, and this guy from Australia. And he said, you're not allowed to touch anything, but be a fly on the wall and watch these guys, and that's it. So every three to six months, I got sort of a fax or a call from one of these people, and I just made myself available because I knew each time I would learn a lot. And it was that he did that for 10, 15 years for me until I was like, okay, I got it, right? Mm, mm. And he just... That was him just like grabbed and said, you're talented, but you need to edit your shit and no one is editing your shit. That's what he was telling me and I'm here for you. And it wasn't just him, it was his whole crew. Now I had access to like 30 young cooks that came from all over the world. And eventually I started sending my cooks up to Chicago and that's how we got this jump start and became this badass kitchen early because Charlie Trotter opened the door for me, right? Mm, and that mm. transformed my life. So I knew after that, I have to start mentoring. And I focused more on inner city black and brown kids because there was a huge void for that, right? But it was, he just, she just said, you need help and I'm gonna be the guy to help you. That's dope. Yeah, yeah it is dope. And I, I don't know, I mean, I don't know if we have the same type of kind of ma like old masters uh, uh, vibe within you know, I guess, I'm guessing that the, the American hip hop community is the same as the Swedish, even though yours is thousands of times bigger. But where like, it's like either you can rap, you can write a good song or you can't. And once you can do that, you're you're pretty much, you know, OK, an older artist might have a longer track record, but it's still like, you know, sure, you you've been a star for a longer time or you've done more stuff. But check me now, I got fresh stuff that everybody wants to hear and then there's not really levels in that you know what i mean but you I are do, that person uh, so jason in sweden well, no, I'm just you saying, are that I'm person for that, a lot of people but with chefs it seems like there's more like oh really established like steps like this is yeah. an old master like, yeah we revere what right. he says also probably because teaching somebody to how to kind of act on stage or how to write or how to just carry yourself or they're all like more like in your character it's like emotional it's like hard to teach whereas being a chef there's a lot of like technique and 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 there's a lot of different techniques sure. i'm guessing there's like uh, i can see how, how those I, techniques how, though yeah. those techniques are the personality mm -hmm. you know what i'm mm -hmm. saying it's like mm -hmm. it's like it's like for the chef that technique how you choose to do that how you choose to like I, I don't know how to cook, but you shake the thing or this shake the thing. The and all, shake the thing. Uh, that's what we do. I'll, I'll shake the thing. I'm just telling you what I be seeing Sound chefs like do. Like song lyrics. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, I gotta yeah. cook. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, I just feel like, I feel I like, I feel like, like uh, it, chefs are more like DJs. That's what I think. You know? See, I think it's like <laughs> no, this. Go, go, I think, I, I think, yeah. I, I think it's like this. I think, the, I think, I think the rappers now go, oh wait, you still using celery? You can't use celery. It, it's like that. You know what I'm saying? It's like in hip hop. <laughs> 
hip hop, everything changed. We all right, we stopped cooking with beef. Yeah. And now we you now we only cook with no this. And if you hat, and, and no older head is older head is like hats. Yeah. yeah, older head is like, yo, I used to I used to actually cook with drums. What are you doing? You know what I mean? It's like so like we don't use drums anymore. So, but but it's but 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 the chefs, you know, when you're doing the thing with the this and the shaking the things, do you do you have to also watch what the youth are doing and be like, Oh, I gotta learn how to do that now too? Listen, listen. Cause I remember yeah. No, listen, but I, you know, for me, mentorship is more about the mental stage and which doors and which steps are happening. If you, if you're going to go through that, those are different steps. I speak to young chefs every day that calls me, hits me up, texts me, and it's so much about the mental health game, right? Because it's a brutal amount of hours you got to work, and then it's like your restaurant through COVID, maybe or maybe not, is making it, and you're still working as hard, right? So, so for me, mentoring is a lot about the mental game, actually, what's happening and what's next. I, what I love, learning-wise, ingredient-wise, I learn more from the younger chef than from my peers because they're definitely technique-wise, uh, ingredient-wise, um, they want it faster, quicker, more flavor-driven, Right. So I, I they're, they're teaching you about sharing share plates. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's like, like that. so but I love this. I look at it as going as a, being a boxer, being in the ring. You got to you got to go with the ones that you come up with. But you also you got the young ones coming up and that keeps me fresh. You know, I love having all the young guys go at me and come at me. And and I learn a lot. You know what I mean? And it's just mm-hmm. like without that, you know, level of energy which is which is is needed it would be boring you know so i, I i'm mm-hmm. really grateful at this moment and and uh yeah i just love it i love it guys uh before we we don't want to keep you all uh, well it's night for me but all afternoon sean but but before we kind of go there's another uh kind of perspective on minneapolis that i would just love yes. to or love to but that we need to touch on you know uh, because other than uh, Prince, Rhyme Sayers, Atmosphere, and all the fantastic music coming out of Minneapolis, unfortunately, in the past couple of years, you know, since Philando Castile, and then, of course, George Floyd, it has become, uh, uh, you know, known in kind of infamy as far as police violence against uh, black and brown people. What has the past two years, three years, uh, been like uh, in Minneapolis and how is it affecting you and your family, your friends, your music? That's a good question, you know, because it's hard to differentiate how much of the trauma is based in COVID, Mm -hmm. how much of the trauma is based in these, um, I guess, how, how would I describe them? These, these uh, actions and, decisions that have been captured on film that really are highlighting to us the disparities and the inequities in our community, basically. Um, And how much of it is just from the overall world. You know what I'm saying? It's, It's hard to differentiate the traumas and I feel like that probably speaks to a lot of people no matter where you live, Mm -hmm. but here specifically, it's been, it's been really interesting. And it's, it's, it's wild to me because I'm also hearing and listening to a lot of people who are becoming a lot more aware of how we react and absorb trauma, Mm -hmm. what, what it does to us. You know, there's just so much more 
um, therapy language that a lot of us grasp mm-hmm. now and are able to, to articulate, you know? And, and so, the, so, so the, even the, the hyper awareness of the trauma is traumatic and I can't speak to the rest of the world, how the world feels. I can only just assume that everybody feels like we feel. And, and, and I don't even want to speak for everybody here, but for me, man, it's like, it's day to day, man. Some days are really good. Some days, some days are not as good. You know what I mean? And it's interesting because sometimes you can't even figure out why today is not that good. It's, it's mm. just not, you don't always know, like, why does today feel like this? And, and it's just because of the paths you crossed today, the people you spoke with and whatever they're going through. And as, as we share these energies. And so in this city, as you say, you know, um, there's been, it's just nonstop, man. But can uh, I, can I ask you It's something? nonstop. Yeah. It's so interesting because it's it's such a big thing right and to live in in minneapolis you know to be defined by these big things but then you're going to live in there like people are living day to day like on one you hand go shopping yeah, yeah. Or even people, though there's a huge demonstration yeah, yeah. Are, are people there's, talking about this are you are we dealing with it what what's happening on the ground kind of like as an m twin city citizen that dealing within this world in the culture world how is people responding or communicating or is it something we're not going there it was so dark we're not even talking about it one of the largest responses at least that i've been able to see is what i spoke to in the sense of people are very aware Mm. people have been learning the language so when we talk to each other it does feel productive it does feel like this is moving somewhere with a positive energy Mm. But I can't always tell because sometimes even I'll get off the phone, I'll, I'll talk to somebody for a half hour and, and, and things will feel great, but I'll get off the phone and I'll have this slight depression after the fact because of, yeah. of what was just almost, it's almost like the energy that was required to really be present for that conversation. I feel a little depleted. I got to go fill that back up. Mm-hmm. I got to fill my cup up again. Um, and, you know, I'm not even, like, I don't even leave my house. I'm a very... I was already antisocial for the most part. I only left the crib to go. And if somebody came to town that I was friends with, I would go and and, and at least say hi to them yeah. at the show. I might not even stay for the show. You know what I mean? But I'm a, I'm a homebody. I'm either working or I'm with the kids. Mm-hmm. And so this didn't change that. I was like that before COVID. I was like that before uh, the series mm-hmm. of, of, of events that were captured and, and, and broadcasted internationally. You know, um, I like anybody will remind you and remind everybody that, that that's listening like the, these things happen everywhere all the time things are but these ones were big because they were they were captured on film mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. it's like again it, it goes back to that footage you know what i'm saying it's like but it, but the thing the thing is it's just been one after another man yeah. it just feels mm-hmm. like you don't even get a chance to really finish dealing with uh all the loose ends of the last one before the police kill somebody else. You know, it's like, thankfully we've, things have been kind of quiet here for a minute, but also man, there, you know, it's, it's been as a rap kid, I grew up listening to all the rap I could. I became a conspiracy theorist through Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And I'm learning how to let go of some of that kind of a, of a, of a, yeah. Cause it's, I hear you. Hip hop and conspiracy theories have gone hand in hand for or alternative truths. But now the people kind of co-opting the conspiracy theory space are not people we want to kind of associate with at all. 
It's so it's crazy. Keep man. some of that uh, though, otherwise we wouldn't get the greats like the Sun Ross. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Please keep some of it. It can't please. go. It can't go nowhere. It's just I can't. I just can't go to the meetings anymore. That's all it is. It's like I, I I'm, I'm yeah, still yeah. in on it. I just can't. I just, I just, I just can't kick it with the other people that that have suddenly jumped in. You know. Uh, but 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 with that said though, it's like. You know, uh, there was a there's a defund the police movement that got big around the U.S. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's of like course. that everywhere. And at times, man, the conspiracy theorist in me is watching the city like, yo, like <laughs> these cops just quit. They just turned their head. Yep. They're turning their head. They're just quitting. And it's it's interesting because it's like what it highlights is like. All right. So now I'm on the road and. We're just not paying attention to traffic signals no more. Mm -hmm. It starts there. You know what I'm saying? We're just like, ah, it don't matter anymore. You just better make sure it just keep your head on a swivel. And that's just trying to drive your kid to school. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So above and beyond that, there is this vibe of like, man, like everybody quit. And I don't want to say just the cops, but it's like between all this stuff and COVID and all the pushback and the, and the, and the division between all of us, like, there's just a whole lot of people who are just opting out. And if you're not opting out, then you're opting in and you're having these conversations with people and it's depleting mm. you and you are exhausted. Yeah. You are exhausted. Yeah. I am emotionally exhausted. Yeah. And like, I'm not even boots on the ground. I'm just on, I'm just mm. voice on the phone and I'm exhausted. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. And so, and this city, there's one beautiful thing that occurred is we got to really see how many people in this city were with it and ready to not just hit the front lines because it was the thing to do, but to stick with it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and there's a lot of activism here. You know, there always has been, yeah. but it was really beautiful to see it like show up and organize and get, get things done. So because uh, and it's, it's really unique and great to be able to hear you speak on that from being a Minneapolis uh, uh, a resident of Minneapolis because a lot of the footage that we were shown and and the and the uh the demonstrations and the uprising that that kind of had Minneapolis as an epicenter you know after the murder of George Floyd sent shockwaves I mean there were 10,000 people in the city where I live uh demonstrating because mm -hmm. of it um but a lot of the footage we were seeing from Minneapolis was as always before, burning supermarkets, it was looting, it was uh, uh, demonstrators, it was a lot of violence. Uh, so we didn't see a lot, they, the news wasn't showing a lot of the, those beautiful moments or- You, you know, know it's, sure it's, it's, it's crazy because this is, this is um, again, the disparity and the inequities here are some of the worst in the country. Hmm. Now, when you saw how many people that came out for the protests that were white, it scared a lot of people. And there's this conspiracy theorist in me, but people were like, yo, these young white kids are coming out and burning shit down. What are we gonna do? And so I believe that the information that was shared, the pictures that were shown, they downplayed that. They didn't want the world to see that, you know? And, and, and you know, I feel like I gotta look over my shoulder when I speak like this publicly. <laughs> But yeah. I, I, you know, it's like, and, mm. and, and they didn't want to see that from here. Mm. Like, if you saw that happen in New York, that's New York City. Mm. But in Minneapolis, to see all of these young white kids come out like, yo, we will fuck shit up. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong to fuck no, shit no, up. No, no. But the no. fact that, that they showed up, like, 
I'll go to jail. What are we doing? I feel like that may have scared some people. You know what I'm saying? And, and I feel like there's reverberations to that, you know, uh, here, definitely, but 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 also but globally. I, you know what I'm saying? I think also a lot of it has to do with how that's reported. For me, the core of this for me is that it's actually a twin city. And I come back to that because St. Paul's financial and energy is very different than Minneapolis, right? But when you hear it out, it's always a Minneapolis. I would say this is a hard line, right? But like St. Paul is probably majority Republican and Minneapolis is probably majority Democrat. I mean, it's a hard line, right? You know, here's, here's the thing. As a kid, we were told, uh, you don't go over to St. Paul. That's its own thing. So you felt like, oh, you go over there, a bunch of Minneapolis kids, you might get chased by some St. Paul kids <laughs> or who, who knows what. Once we got over there and started interacting, once we were old enough to start partying with those kids, they're just kids. kids yeah. You get older and that's when you start to see what the real lines are, you know. And I would say right now, I don't know if St. Paul is as we say red blue yeah. is is as red now mm -hmm. as it used to be yeah. it definitely mm -hmm. was worse mm -hmm. it was it was like you know it used to almost be like a joke uh, it was hyperbole of how just how horrible it was you know now what i think is shown is that neither side was right yeah. both sides failed us mm. both sides failed wow. black people wow. specifically wow. you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. and in different ways but also in this same in ways, yeah. man, all they did is, is they put makeup on one and they put something else on the other. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and, and, I, and I feel like that truly is what it comes down to. And so when I say how seeing all of these different kids from different spaces come together and voice their anger of what the police did to George Floyd and the way it sparked off everywhere else in the world. I think I think that is worrisome to them. And if it isn't, it should be, because I do feel like there aren't too many more times that you're going to be able to, like, really push on this this little skinny little bridge you guys mm -hmm. got here faking mm -hmm. like we can cross this bridge. This bridge is going to break. And then and then, you know, it's like it's all broken. Yeah. It's all broken. Mm -hmm. And and I and I think that it's everywhere, man. I Obviously, I think it's here because I'm biased. I think, you know, I live in America. Therefore, I know. Oh, America's mm. the problem. You know what I mean? But the truth of the matter is, it's I see everywhere. it. I've it's been Sweden. seeing it. When it's I everywhere. Think about it, it's in Africa. It's, it's everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, I and I think, you know, we, we you know, here's the thing. Can, can we get there? Can we break the bridge in time to save the world? I don't know, man. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to, it's got to be graffiti bridge, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Slug, man, you know, no. I love this conversation. I feel like we could go on for, uh, you know, an another 90 minutes. Uh, it's It's been an honor, a pleasure. Anytime, been, man. You know, you've actually hit me with some advice that I'm actually, you know, taking to heart. Uh, I don't have to make an album to go on tour. I, I Just because I released an album doesn't mean that I have to play those songs. That's like very concrete advice that I'm taking from... Yet another involuntary mentor. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> ah, you know, listen, listen, man. Here's what. Here, all you got to do mm. to go on tour is have fun and translate yeah, that no, fun I to other you, people. Man. People just want to have. People just want to go out and have fun, especially, especially now. If you can, if mm. you know what I'm saying, like I, I, I respect what you've done, and I fully respect what you guys got up next. And so I, I, I love you. Thank you for having Thank me on you. the show. If anybody, yeah. but.
nobody ever calls and says, hey, I can't come. I'm sick or whatever. There you go. We're going to hold you to that, Slug. We're going to hold you to that. I'll hang out with you guys anytime, man. Thank you so much. That love is, you know, coming right back at you. And, you know, whenever you're back and not even just Sweden, but in the this Nordic part of Europe, you know, uh, I'd love to come see you. And uh, yeah, man, I, I hope to make it to Minneapolis one day. I was about to go when the pandemic hit, um, but uh, yeah, it got canceled as so many other things did. So I'm still I'm still looking to come to Minneapolis. I'll hit you up, man. And I will I be there. I will be there in, in five to six months or so uh, cooking. So I'll definitely try to get you out of the house and break bread with you. Okay. Yeah, you guys yeah. are the best, man. It's inspirational, man. Take care. I appreciate you. Peace. Thank you. All right, man. Peace, peace. Thanks again, Sean, for joining us. Shout out to all the rhyme sayers worldwide. Also, shout out to Aileen Headmont for helping us set this up. <clears throat> now, make sure you go check out that new atmosphere project. It's called Word. It's available on all major streaming platforms. Also, make sure to drop by Atmosphere's web store. They sell some dope cassettes, CDs, and vinyls. Always go for the physical copy, folks. And to our listeners, Tell us what you think about the episode. Who else should we interview? What topics would you like to hear us dive into? We'd love to hear from you. Leave us a message at thismomentpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at thismomentpodcast. We'll be back next week. Peace.